Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the scriptures for the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, October 3rd, 2021. Our culture says that marriage is a matter of convenience rather than a covenant relationship established by God. Genuine marriage is between two parties who are committed to laying down their lives for each other. In Jesus' day, the idea of a throwaway marriage was as common as, as it is today. Jesus reminds the religious leaders that it was because of the hardness of the Hebrew hearts that Moses allowed divorce. Our issue with God's law may not lie with marriage, but most of us had areas of hardness of heart. There were questions of the truth of what God has said to us come about uh, in one area or another of our lives. Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church. If we are imitators of Christ, we must lay down our lives for our spouses. Let's begin with the first reading. And this comes from the, the second chapter of Genesis. <clears throat> uh, and it begins at Genesis 2, 18 to 24. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Now that's an interesting statement, isn't it? That it and, and the good there means it's not good, pleasant, agreeable. So it's, it's not the way that God really wants someone to be alone. And so he, he wants us to be in relationship with other people and with himself. So what does God say? I will make a suitable partner for him. Now notice the word suitable there. That, that is, it's, it's one that means it's a right partner for this man. And incidentally, the name for man here is Adam. Uh, so uh, you need to be aware of that. And so what happens next is, so God, the Lord God, formed out of the ground various wild animals and birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now, let's go to a couple of things that we have here. First of all, this word formed is the same word that that is used in where Adam is formed out of the clay. It really basically means that God is the potter. There is that scripture, uh, and uh, pardon me, I don't remember exactly where it is. There's the scripture that says, you are the potter, we are the clay. And there's also the scripture, I believe it's in, in uh, Jeremiah, or either Jeremiah or Isaiah, where the prophet is sent down to the potter's house to see the potter making a, a, a pot. And when the pot doesn't come out quite right, he reforms it, the potter does. Now, so what God is doing here with these animals in this account of, of this part of creation is that God is actually taking the same material that he made the man Adam from, and he's making the animals. Now, this is the second account of creation, so it's going to be a little different what you see in the first chapter of Genesis. And it says he sought, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now, it's very interesting here because Adam is allowed to give the names to the animals. And this is important in Hebrew thought because if you knew the name, you had a power over the individual and, and the name signified exactly who that person was. So the name, and we've talked about this before, the name and the person are used interchangeably in the Hebrew way of thinking. So this, again, uh, is the same type of thing where we see where God gave, gave Adam command, dominion over the, the plants and the animals that he created. So, and it says, whatever the man called each of them would be its name. So that defines its nature as well. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds, the air, and the wild animals. Now, here's the key. But none proved to be a suitable partner for man. Now, what is that saying? And it's saying, in a sense, is that Rover, 
Man needs more than Rover. God, God created us for relationship with other human beings, and there are no other human beings at this point in time in this account of creation. So all of the things, all of the places, all the things, anything that, that is not human is not going to be satisfactory for our relationships, okay? Uh, and so we ask, well, then why did God create all of these animals for Adam? if God knew already that it wasn't going to be a suitable partner for Adam? And the answer is that Adam needed the proof that none of these other things would be a suitable partner for him. None of these other things will be totally satisfactory to him and until he, God created uh, until, uh, God created Eve, and we're going to get to that here in just a second. Now, and so the, God cast a deep sleep on the man. Let's take a quick look at... Uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. Remember when, uh, when Abraham and God made the covenant that uh, Abraham split the animals in half and he walked between them uh, to walk between them. And then when sunset came, uh, Adam was in a trance, which basically means a deep sleep. And God passed between them like a fire pot going between the hands of the animal. And that sealed the covenant. So what we have here also is that God cast Adam into this deep sleep. This sleep where uh, he is going to uh, see what God, God is going to do what he's doing when he's in this sleep. His sleep. And we've talked about this particular reading uh, several times before, and this is in Joel 22, chapter, chapter 2, verses 20 and 29, 28 and 29. And this is talking about when Joel is uh, prophesying the coming of the Holy Spirit. And if you have a Jerusalem Bible, this will be the first three verses of chapter 3, or first two verses, pardon me. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the manservants and the maidservants in those days will I pour out my spirit. So this is God speaking in this passage in Joel. God is speaking in the dreams. Remember Joseph when uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 2. He he's, he's has these dreams where God speaks to him in the dreams. So what, it's important for us to understand here, too, that God uses all sorts of things. And one of the things that he uses is dreams to speak to his people, dreams to accomplish his uh, sleep is way he uses to accomplish what he wants. And it says, and he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord then built it up, it built up into a woman, the rib. Why is it important that it was a rib? Because the rib is the bone that is closest to the heart. And as we go on in this passage, we'll see that this really has a lot to do with what God is saying. And we'll see in the, in the uh, gospel when, when this passage is quoted again, that God didn't change his mind at all. It says, the Lord built the, up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. Okay, so the woman is a part of the man. Remember, it's what it's saying here, is that the woman is part of the man. Okay, so then God, when God brought her to the man, the man said, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is one like me. This one is part of me. This one shall be called woman. Now, in note in, uh, in Jerusalem Bible, and it talks about this 
verse is saying it's a figurative expression for the close of the closeness close relationship between man and woman which brings them together in marriage and so let's let's look at that this one shall be called woman now another thing that's interesting is that that isha there's a, a little pun here because and we'll look at that in a second here let's see if i've got it uh this is uh, note o in uh G- genesis 2 in hebrew a play on the words isha woman and ish man so there are two words for man that are used in genesis and the one is adam which basically means ruddy uh and this one is this is so it's a play on words so it's even in the hebrew the isha and the ish there, there's a closeness in the in the relationship of the words okay let's look at first corinthians 11 8 and 9 and It says, for man was not made for woman, but woman for man. A man was not made from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So th- there's this, this is closest to relationship. And we'll, get, and we'll look in a little bit in Ephesians where God talks about how that relationship is supposed to be lived by the husband. And it goes on to say here, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to the wife, and the two of them become one flesh. So it's ex- expressing the oneness it's supposed to be between husband and wife. With that, let's go take a look at the gospel. Now, this gospel is from chapter 10 of Mark, pardon <coughs> me, 2 to 6, verses 2 to 16. Parallel to this, uh, there are several parallels to this, and you can look them up in your Bible. Usually, if you have some cross-references in your Bible, it'll tell you where they are. Uh, one of them is going to be Matthew 19, 1 to 9. So, the Pharisees approach Jesus and ask him, is it lawful? for a husband to divorce his wife. Oh, so if he says it's not lawful, then he says that that people don't have to obey, shouldn't be obeying what the, the regulations that Moses laid down for them. If he says, yes, it is, then they will go, go back and quote him that the two shall become one flesh. So they're trying to capture Jesus in something where they can, they can take him and say that he's a heretic. Is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. Now, I'm going to take a look now at, at James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. And you have to remember that, that in, in the Greek, and I think in the Hebrew as well, the word for test and temptation oftentimes is the same Greek word. And it says, so let's look at James. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted or tested, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, that's the flesh, or self, uh, doing things for yourself. Uh, each person is tempted and lured by, by his own desire, then desire when it conceives gives birth to sin, and sin when it full, is full grown brings forth death. So, they are testing Jesus. They are trying to put him to the test, just like the devil did in the in the desert after Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was testing him to see whether he was truly the Son of God. When we are tempted, it, often it is the evil one trying to show us, to determine who we are. Are we going to succumb to the testing, to the temptation, uh, come through it and prove that we're genuine, or are you going to sh- prove that we are false? So, they're testing him to see what he's going to say. So then Jesus replies, what did Moses command you? 
So that he, instead of saying, all right, it's right or it's wrong, he says, what did Moses say? You guys, you guys got all the law down to Pat. You tell me what Moses said. And they replied, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. Now that's found in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4. And it, it goes, it's sort of like, you know, if, if, she, if she's having a bad day with her husband, then he has the right to divorce her. That's basically what it says. The man can divorce her for basically any reason why she displeases him. But we don't need to read all of that. But Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. So he's saying, you, you folks, from the very time that Moses was leading you around, you couldn't handle being what God wanted, doing what God wanted, being in that light. You, you wanted to have your way. And, and you, you, know, you, you can look again at Galatians 5, uh, and where it talks about anyone led by the Spirit is not in danger of yielding to the flesh to self-indulgence. And the reason why you don't do what you want to do half the time is because of this war between your, your self-gratification and the Spirit. And that's a loose translation of what it says. He wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made male and female, made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus is going back to the creation story, to the very beginning. This is how God intended it before the fall, and Moses gave you this stuff after the fall. And then Jesus goes on, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Again, emphasizing the fact that there's this oneness, and then in in the marital act, there's this oneness of flesh that, that will procreate another human being. Therefore, and someone once said, whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, see why it is, what it is there for. So therefore, after saying all of this, therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. Let God be God. Let God be in control. God has brought you together. Don't try to break up what God desires to have. <clears throat> In the house, the disciples again question Jesus about this. So the, the, the disciples are not, I mean, they're not the, the Pharisees that are provoking him, but the disciples have, have been taught from their youth all of this, these things by the rabbis and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they just don't get what Jesus is saying. So he says, they didn't understand it. They, so they said, Jesus, you know, I don't get it. If we don't get it, this doesn't, this doesn't go with what we've been taught. And he says to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now you can find these two things in, uh, in, in Matthew 5, 32 and Luke 16, 18. Now, the, other, the next thing, so then we get into, is, is, is most of these Gospels have been over the last several weeks, there are two or three little incidents that we're going to be looking. Now, the other one here is, and this one you can look in Matthew 19, 13 to 15, and Luke 18, 15 to 17, and see parallels this. And the people were bringing children to him 
that he might touch them. Now, what, remember, Jesus' touch was a When people touched Jesus, they were healed. They were made whole. They were made complete. Whatever was wrong with them was corrected. So parents are bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus can, can bring them into the fullness of life. But the disciples rebuked him. Now, okay, why? Well, what Jesus was doing too important, and children aren't important at all because they have no standing in the, in the, civil, in the culture. So why, why bring all this in here? Jesus has got more important things to do than to touch a bunch of children, hold them and hug them, and, and do all these things that you're wanting him to do. Get them out of here. Stop distracting Jesus from what he's supposed to be doing. That's what the disciples thought. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. There's another place where Jesus says, Unless you become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, it's right, it's right below here. I'm sorry, that's where it is. I, I, he says, Amen, I say to you, whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. What does that mean? We're, a little child doesn't have all these obstacles to belief that we adults have. And so God is, Jesus is saying here, don't put, all, don't put obstacles in the way of these children from believing. Don't put obstacles in the way of your own belief. You have to believe as a little child does, wide-eyed. You have to do it that way or you're not going to see the kingdom of God because you put all these obstacles in here. Then he embraced them and blessed them, placing his hands on them. Okay, uh, let's look at the second reading, which is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. So we're finished with James, we're into Hebrews. And in, a, in its real sense, again, I'm gonna find, I think I'm going to find a link between the first reading and the gospel and this second reading. It says, For a little while he was made lower than the angels by the grace of God, he might, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Let's look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And this is the famous verse that's quoted frequently, and I believe it's used during Holy Week. It says, Have this mind among you yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God chose Jesus to be the Savior of the world. If God treated his son Jesus like this, why should God treat us any differently? Jesus laid down his life for us that we might be saved. It's interesting, too, the Jerusalem Bible note D, 2D for Hebrews is Christ was glorified precisely because he suffered and his triumph seals the redeeming value of his death. Jesus proved his love for the Father by the obedience to the Father. 
even though in the Garden of Gethsemane he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass me by, but not as I would have it, but as you would have it. And so we should learn from that. And, and that, that goes in our marriages as well, that we are supposed to be laying down our lives. It says, for he, it was fitting that he for whom and through whom all things exist uh, in bringing many children to glory should be made the leader of their salvation through suffering. So again, we're looking at the same thing. Let's look at note F uh, uh, for uh, this. And note F says, by dying and fulfilling the will of God, Christ becomes the one perfect Savior responsible for the entry of human beings into the glory of God. The verb makes perfect comes frequently in the letter to denote the various effects of Christ's work on the relationship of humanity to God. Okay, so he who consecrates, though he who consecrates and those who are consecrated all have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, let's let's look at a couple of the verses here. I'm going to look. Uh, Matthew five forty eight says, "Ye must be you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." And our our culture sees perfection as something where there are absolutely no flaws. And it's it, and this this verse, the way our time reads it, makes it a, a verse that's impossible to live. The Greek word there is teleio, which makes means mature or complete. And so, and it's a process. It's not an endpoint. It's a process. So our perfection is a process that we live out, and we are called to do that, and we can do that through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, and we have to understand that, that it's us that's doing it. And again, I'm going to look, let's look at the Hallelujah verse now. It says, and this is from 1 John four twelve. It says, if we love one another, God remains in us, and his love has brought perfection in us. And so John, John 15, 12 to 13 says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than this has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, in the marriage relationship, the husband and the wife are supposed to be friends, right? Now, okay, guys, you men out there, listen, you women, please don't use this as too big a, a club against your husbands. Ephesians 5, 27 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her that she might he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the water and the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The church is the bride of Christ. We see that in, in played out in Revelation. And what we hear have here from Paul in, in Ephesians is that a husband is supposed to be with his wife just as Christ was for the church. Lays down your life. That means you'll die for her, men. And so we need to do that. And then you say, well, gosh, I really don't want to do that. Well, I got another little passage from James for you on that one. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials. You, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to be full in God's sight, completely full? You need to do that. So the second reading talks about Jesus laying down his life. The Alleluia verse it talks about that, that we need to be imitators of Christ in that we lay down our lives for others. 
And we've got a little bit of time, so let's look at the responsorial psalm. This is Psalm 128. And this is a very interesting psalm to me. It says, the, the, the response is, may the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. Okay, so that's, that's the response. Blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, for you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be in favor. Now, I was always think of Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, when I think of this particular verse, which says, Blessed is, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Follow God. Fear God. Do fear. Have that awe of God that you do not want to offend him. And you, you shall have all these things that you're talking about here. God will bless you. May God bless uh, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. Let's look at James, John chapter 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself and if, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Your wife is a fruitful vine. Your wife needs to be attached to you, men. Wives, you need to be attached to your husband. And your husbands need to be attached to Jesus. You both need to be attached to Jesus Christ. You're both called to bear fruit. And your wife shall be a fruit like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your house. Your children like olive plants round your table. The two things that, that were very important to the to the Hebrew people, wine and olives. The wine for the drink, olives for the, not only for the eating, but for the oil and cooking and all of that sort of thing. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord will bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days. May Jerusalem, the, the church is the new Jerusalem. The uh, heaven, the, in Revelation we see that heaven is the new Jerusalem as well. And so if you want to get there, then you need to have the fear of the Lord in that you don't want to offend him. And then it says, may, your may you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. God wants us to be successful. He wants our marriages to be successful. He wants us to understand that he has given his laws for us so that we can live with him eternally. But heaven starts now, as Father John Ricardo's book says. And we know that God is, well, maybe we don't know, but but if you, if you look at it and you read around a little bit and, and do some research, you'll find that God has not given us his laws to be a burden to us. He has given them as protection for us so that we may be with him eternally. And with that, I'm going to say goodbye today and thank you for listening today. Uh, may God richly bless you in all that you do this coming week. And may we be together again next week. Thank you.